Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. So this week I wanted to talk about a I wanted to talk about Rooster Teeth because I think that it's the studio Rooster Teeth because I think that it's a I think it's that it's this odd kind of high-end version of a thing that is happening everywhere just on the edges of anime fandom. And in a way, so I don't know if you guys remember when um, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse came out. I do because I went to see, see that on, in a I went to see it was playing for a really long time in theaters. And I put off seeing it for, like, a while. Just because I, I don't know why. I remember seeing the previews when I went to see a different movie. Um, That weird... It was a weird movie. It was, a, like, I went to see a weird movie and I saw the preview to it. And I was like, ooh, I should go see that. And then when it came out, I just didn't go see it for a while. Which, having, I saw it on, I saw it late in its, um, in its theater run. Which, it had a long theater run because it was doing so well. Um, which I think surprised a lot of people. So they were just like, let's keep this in theater for fucking ever. And, um, that movie... That movie hit the anim- the animation industry kind of like a bomb. And it... Rooster Teeth... The, the way this relates to Rooster Teeth is that it, it functions as kind of a, like reverse version of it. In that after that movie came out, especially after that movie came out on Blu-ray and DVD you saw a lot and for digital download i have the digital download of it on um itunes you saw a lot of people in the japanese animation industry say like this movie is incredible like i i could watch this movie every day and still not get like half of what kind of cool half of the cool animation techniques out of that they use in it out of it it's amazing And it, I think, um, rest in power, Zach Birchie said, um, (laughs) said that that movie is some, is unique in the way that it cannot be oversold to you. Like, generally when you go to see a movie, it gets late. If you see it late... and it's a popular film, it gets, like, hyped up and hyped up and hyped up, and you go into the theater and you're kind of let down because it didn't... something didn't meet the hype. Into the Spider-Verse is... like... there's, there's no amount of hype you could give that movie to someone 
that wouldn't be that would be enough. It is that like it is that visually stunning and well crafted and impressive. And so of course it it struck a chord with animators around not just here, not just in Japan, but around the world and with artists around the world. I mean I it was give you an idea, it was the first thing I, I think it was around the first thing I watched when I was like, hey, um, I built myself a movie theater in the spare room of my house. Um, it was around, it was the thing, it was the movie I went to on election night when I didn't want to think about it. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me just put on Into the Spider-Verse and not pay attention to the election and be cool with the world. The reason why I mention this is because that's an ex- a, a modern example of of American animation influencing the world. And right and a um a few a what I'm not sure I'm not sure how many episodes ago in in the podcast but in Sunday editions or in Sunday editions, but I did a, like, three-part series about anime's influence on the world. But the truth is that nothing is singular, and everybody knows the, like, everybody knows the the infamous legend of, um, of how Bambi inspired the concept of, like, the anime eyes, and if you don't, you can go, you can go, um, it involves Osama Tezuka and, like, seeing Bambi and being, like, stunned at the possibilities kind of thing. But, um, it, it is very true now that there's lots of anime influence in, in everything, in kind of every American cartoon you see. Because it's a because it is because the animation has been treated as an art form for a greater portion of its existence in the rest of the world. You know, animators who go who come up through art school and in America they they get exposed to all this stuff and they're like stunned. Um, and it makes its way a little by little into everybody else's work, into America, into American work and thought and thought processes about what's possible in in American animation. If you look at a show like um the regular show, that show is basically a a dude bro slice of life show. <laughs> um and it it has it has some similar feelings to a show like Nietzsche Joe or um what's the other one? Um the one the one by the same creator before Nietzsche Joe came out, I forget his name. 
Um, but one of the other things that has happened is whole companies have, um, have cropped up around the concept of being anime inspired. And so one of my favorite, one, one of the companies that I kind of have always adored is run by a guy, guy named Jed Henry. And it's, and he lives in, I believe, Ohio. Um, and he run the, he run the company called, um, Ukiyo-e Heroes. And he partnered with a, with a British guy who, um, does traditional Japanese woodblock carvings in Japan. And he, that guy lives in Japan. And he runs a whole studio. You can, you can find, um, I forget his name, but you can find him on YouTube. He's, like, fascinating and like, the dry British old man way of being fascinating. And it's, it's super weird. And I kind of love it. But, uh, ukiyo a Heroes takes, like, anime influence, um, traditional Japanese woodblock print influence and applies it to, like, video game characters and Marvel characters. I ha- I have the... I have the print for, um, Iron Man hanging in my studio. Um, and it... It strikes you pretty quickly that that would be possible with um without you know the influence of anime and the influence of Japanese pop culture, and then you, you get to something like Rooster Teeth, and th- so my first and most um my first and most infamous um. Encountered Rooster Teeth was, um, Red versus Blue. I think that they that they did Red versus Blue, which is the like Red Halo character versus Blue Halo characters like slapstick comedy fight thing that was on G four a million years ago. And since then, they branched out to things like Ruby, and the thing that, but the thing that um, kind of inspired me to to focus in on this the most, to focus in on them for this episode, is, um, Genlock. Genlock, I think, exposes the big, the big problem with, with Rooster Teeth. Because Genlock feels like Rooster Teeth trying to make its own Avatar-style show. But the thing that the reason why Avatar sits so well with anime fans, and the reason why many anime fans don't distinguish between Avatar and anime, is because Avatar takes the whole of the influence. It takes it takes everything. It doesn't it doesn't pick and choose. Whereas Genlock. Genlock and lots of Rooster Teeth stuff. They did a um, they did a fan panel thing, that, I think, that I think put them behind the eight ball on. Their, 
love of anime, on their love of, um, on being able to incorporate anime well, because their fan panel thing, their fan panel thing seems like they were, like, just missing the mark constantly, but Genlock's problem is that it doesn't, it doesn't provide the breathing space. The space to breathe for things that that anime often does. So, one of the things that you have always that you could tell anime directors are always thinking about is they're always thinking about the space to breathe for a viewer, so that the viewer doesn't get so bogged down by that potential heaviness of the subject matter. Um, so if you look at something like um, one of my favorite shows, Eureka 7, Eureka 7 will successfully emotionally manipulate me every time. Every fucking time. But there are key points in Eureka 7 where they have these episodes that are just meant to be a psychological break for the viewer. Like, just like, hey... Go watch the crew play fucking soccer. Go watch the crew do, like, a Bosch delivery deal. Go, like, all these weird little things that are just, like, these nice, calm moments. And they function as this almost calm before the storm of that show. One of the reasons why, um, that new Eureka 7 movie that focuses on Namine doesn't work is because it doesn't have that in it. It's this, like, relentless, forward-at-all-cost pace. It's also fucking bananas, but that's a different thing. Um, I covered that in my, um, on my Saturday shows. You can go find that earlier on in the feed. And Genlock, for, um, Rooster Teeth, feels like an action show that was, like, feels like an action movie that was stretched out for too long. From what I understand, their other big property, um, uh, Ru- Ru- Ruby, I think, Ruby, also had the same problem. And, like, I can feel Genlock starting to, like, this is only the first season of Genlock. I watched the entire thing on HBO Max. But you can feel it fraying at the edges all, all the way already on the first season. And that just doesn't... It presents you with this weird problem because they're doing they're doing something that inherently isn't done in Japanese animation because Japanese people don't have much... Lots of Japanese people, especially the kind of Japanese, the age of Japanese people now making animation, may not have had a whole lot of experience with people of color. So, if you look at anime, there are not a whole lot of people of color in anime. I did a whole episode about black and anime on my Sunday show. You can go check it out in the feed. 
but I don't think a single person I mentioned in that, with the exception of maybe Afro from, well, with the exception of Afro from Afro Samurai, are the main character. And then, as if on a dare, Genlock uh, do, does you one better and makes that character disabled. <laughs> like, that character is half a human in a jar. <laughs> and they, like, they sidestep that by using, like, astral projection tech, basically. But the point remains that that character is still a disabled person of color. <laughs> and the sidestepping is its own problem because I would I would have loved to have like just the reality of him being disabled on the screen more often. It would be great. Um but that takes the kind of courage that it, lots of able bodied people just don't just don't have. Um but like I said, this, the show feels, it's fun to watch, it's interesting, but it has this, like, lack of depth of character that doesn't, that just doesn't work. And it, it actually feels most like that Voltron Defenders of the Universe show, and it, I just... It doesn't feel... It, it feels... It feels like an anime influence thing that wanted to pick and choose but didn't get that you need... That didn't get that you need certain parts that they just don't provide. And like I said, if you look at something like, um, if you look at anime-influenced things like Avatar or Korra, they they know that it's a double-sided coin. They know that, like, you can present Sokka as this, like, funny, interesting, cool character, but not... Um, but he's not unintelligent, and you can pre- you can present a love story next to like a save the world story. You can present all this stuff all together, and it will hold itself together because that's the way it that's its best presentation. And then you move on to something like Korra, where it's. It's about a very different thing. It's about a very different set of circumstances. And it's a different style of a journey for a different style of a character that is set in the same world after time has passed. And it's... And Root... So what happens is Rooster Teeth ends up sitting in this... Sitting in this... um. And this group of, like, anime-inspired endeavors, just, I'd actually cover, um, Creator's Guild in this, and I, I like, I like it when Creator's Guild does, and if you don't know what Creator's Guild is, they're, like, anime-inspired merch. 
I like it when creative when Creators Guild does like anime inspired jerseys. Like they have one for um Gyu from uh Demon Slayer. Um they have one for Naruto, they have one for um Luffy from One Piece. Because they those feel like they're taking something and they're taking patterns like fabric patterns and um and styles from those shows and fully interpreting them into what would this look like as like a cool ass jersey. But what I don't tend to like from them is they then spun off into like making their own independent animations. And I think and this is part of the reason why I chose to do a podcast. And I think that there's this tendency to want to step in the ring with the things you love. And I get that. But there's also this tendency to not to see the forest but miss the trees, if that makes any sense. And what I mean by that is you see the whole of the thing but you don't, because of whatever perspective you have, sometimes you can miss key points of it. And so you end up making a thing that is a forest, but it lacks some of the trees. And it it has this, like, hollow feeling. And it has this feeling of trendiness that, like, the genuine article doesn't have and as a result, it achieves a kind of popularity that the quote-unquote trendy thing couldn't have. Um, I saw a video on YouTube about um, Tron Legacy. And say what you will about Tron Legacy, the, like, second, the, like, follow-up to Tron movie, the Tron movie, like, ten years later. But that movie is kind of phenomenal in the fact that it is... It is a successful reboot of Tron in the modern age, and it under it it keenly understands what a Tron what a Tron audience would want now. They would want a Daft Punk fucking soundtrack one hundred and ten percent. They would want that movie looking the way that movie looked, and they went for it with that movie in a way will where they were very sure, like, we're gonna, we're gonna put a cap on what we can make with this movie, on what we can make on this movie, because we're more interested in producing a style that could be genuinely cool, and not just trendy in a way that is, like, um, that is fleeting, because all that stuff will always change, and it will always get different, and it will always slightly evolve, but if you make some, but if you can make something with genuine style and genuine, like, genuine street cred, it like you'll get something like um, like an NWA song, like straight at, like um, fuck the police. You won't get something like that driver's license nonsense 
that got popular on TikTok. And that's one of the difficulties with not just pop art, but art in general, because if you're creating art, especially pop art for the masses, you have to hit somewhere in between. And I think that... So the joke called Surgeon's Law, and that, and Surgeon's Law says that 90% of everything is just crap. And that's generally true, I think. Doesn't mean that it's not good crap, doesn't mean that you can't like it, but it's not... It, you only... 10% of what you encounter has artistic staying power. The other... No, the other 90% there's stuff that you might watch, you might enjoy, but will just pass you by. Like, you won't remember it. And the, and what that 10% is, is different for everybody. You know, what could be part of the 90% for you is part of the 10% for somebody else. But at least for me, when I, like, see... Part of the reason why I never investigated Ruby ever, like, further. Like, I think about it, I'm like, no, you wouldn't like this. This seems dumb. Um, is that... Rooster Teeth's content doesn't seem like it has that staying power to me. It seems like something that is enjoyed, and then you, like, move on to it. You move on from it. And I... But I also feel like they don't... That's not what they want to do. They want to make something that's lasting, that has, like, a impact and stays with you, like the best moments of Avatar or Korra. If I had to guess, I'd say that the reason there's only been the one attempt of making a movie, a live-action Avatar is because they hit the points they wanted to hit so hard in the in the animated Avatar and the animated Korra that attempting to make it again gives them a chance really not to perfect it but to fuck it up. And I'm not saying it's that the show is that either show is perfect, they have their flaws, but it's not it's not something that they need to that would ben- that would have tons of benefit from handing it off through more people and those people poking at it and potentially falling apart. I think that everything I've seen from Rooster Teeth, they're still missing pieces and they need to... They need to sit down and they need to see what um, what makes a show like El Reca work. What makes a show like... Versus what makes a show like Ava work. Versus what makes a show like Longarigne, which is a very different kind of robot show, work. And or what makes the show what makes shows like Gundam work? And I'm you have you have at least two great examples of like a team based Gundam show like um 
Gundam Wing or Gundam Double O, where you can like you have a hot, sexy team of Gundam of Gundam pilots who are a team, and that focus needs to. They need to take that focus, and they need to really watch those shows and take notes on those shows, and see, and then look back at something like Genlock and see like. What do they have that we're missing? What, what makes, what makes the best parts of Gundam Double O feel better than the best parts of Genlock? Because Genlock lacks that feeling. Or what makes the best parts of actually Iron Blade Orphans is even better thing? Because that's a way better. That in my estimation is a way better show than. Um, double O. What makes the best parts of Iron Blooded Orphans feel better than the best parts of Genlock? I think that they would get that the they would deliver more on what I think they want to do with not just Genlock, but any kind of show they want to make if they if they really revisited their influences and focused in on them and took the pieces of those influences that they hope to emulate the best and really and really honed in on them because I don't I don't think they're doing that. And I think that that as a studio that very clearly says we want to be an anime influenced creative force, if you're gonna do it do it. Like there's there's no there's no shame in how should I put this? I I draw literally every day. I've I've said this before multiple times on podcast. What I don't genuinely do unless I have a real purpose is do fan art. I mean I think the last piece of um actual fan art I did was for Inktober in 2019 when I drew Rukoa for a um for one of the dual things. You can go find her on my um on my Instagram feed. And I sat down and I did fan art of I did a fan art portrait of Lukoa. Because because I had a purpose to, but generally I don't do that because I'm I'm interested in taking the stylistic leanings of anime and anime art and applying them to my own work and producing something original. I'm not interested in just creating a photocopy. Lots of people can do that and lots of people can produce beautiful stylized photocopies. Believe me, I subscribe to 18 Patreons at this point. Um, and it's, that's not the creativity I want to put out into the world. And then not to say that shame on anybody who does, um, but that also means that if Rooster Tees wants to create original things and not just photocopies, that's totally possible. They're already doing it, but they need... They and I think so many other anime-inspired brands need to pay more attention 
to the like fine-tuned gears because I think they're still missing from their final products. And I, I, I think that, I mean, I know if you look at something like, once again, I keep coming back to Avatar, um, that if you dig down and you get those, and you get those things in your shows, there'll be better shows. There'll be shows that stay with people in the same way that, like, actually, another perfect example of this is, is that show Clone Wars seems to stay with people kind of, like, it kind of haunts people at a point. And that says to me that, like, the Clone War TV, the Clone War TV series is getting at a essential, an essential question people want answered about Star Wars. And I don't, and part of that is just the power of it being an established IP in Star Wars. But I don't, I don't think that, especially Rooster Teeth's content, is posing questions and answering questions as well as the stuff it's clearly drawing from. And I, I would think that's what, I know that's what you want out of the, out of that content. And it's just not, just not there. And I, I just, I, after watching all of Genlock and after having seen their, like, weird, like, fan talk panel thing they did in, um, which I think you can still find on Crunchyroll in, um, partnership with Crunchyroll, I've, I wanted to do a piece on them, uh, like, a Sunday edition on them, because I think, I mean, I know that that, like, Fandom without real understanding seems to pervade their all all of their stuff, and it just that's not what I think they want to do. On that note, if you like this, if if you like this podcast, um, new episodes come out every Sunday and Thursday. Sunday is like a metatextual focus on some industry thing like this like this was um third days are about individual shows um you can subscribe in whatever in whatever podcast app you're using to listen to me right now and until third day i have been alex and you've been listening to lunchbox radio sunday edition and i will talk to you next third day